When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome back. So as many of you know, despite the fact that I have my own podcast, I I do try and and actually listen to a fair bit of podcasts each week because I think it's important to to listen to to others' voices. Now, over time, I I would love to say that I listen to a, a huge variety of podcasts, that every single day my opinions, my thoughts, my thought patterns, et cetera, uh, my beliefs on the markets, the economy are being challenged. And, and that's probably not the case. You know, I think it's important to be intentional, to actively seek out sources that don't just reflect opinions of your own, so you don't just end up in an echo chamber. I think that's the case for a lot of individuals that are listening exclusively to CNN each day or exclusively to Silver Fortune. I mean, it's easy to just get a, a, a real linear perspective of everything rather than gather a broad perspective of things. And and the great thing about opinions and, and other people's opinions and other sources of, of news or of analysis or, or whatever, other podcasts even, is that you know just because somebody spouts their opinion, even if they're very bright, well-read, whatever, doesn't mean that you need to integrate that into your own thoughts, your own opinions or whatever. You can simply say that and say, well, that's another way of looking at things. I, I don't buy into that fully, but I get where you're coming from. And, you know, there's, there's some wiggle room in a lot of this. You know, in terms of truth in this world, I think uh, over time, and, and, and I don't want to say that the 21st century or the late 20th century is that the, the only time this has ever happened. I think it's happened throughout human history. But this idea of truth, uh, relative versus objective truth, or absolute truth, it certainly seems as though more and more the world is, is moving towards this idea of, of relativism, relative truth. And, and I'm a big absolute, objective truth kind of guy. And, and I don't compromise on that when it comes to certain topics. So, for instance, theology. I think it's an absolute truth that the God of Bible is the God, that there's not a God for each person. You can call them a God, but it doesn't make them exist, right? Uh, that, that Jesus is the Son of God. You know, a lot of those things I'm not going to compromise on. Those are absolute truths, right? I think, you know, even in the realm of, of not to get, you know, too controversial here, but in the realm of, of gender politics, and, and this is probably something Silver Fortune has rarely ever talked about on, on his podcast, but gender politics, I think it's kind of an objective, absolute truth that there's men and there's women biologically. If, if you want to add your own relative truth to that and say that I feel I'm something else, then, then go for it. I'm not going to try and stop you. Um, but, but don't tell me that that's somehow objective. It's not, right? Um, and, and so there's certain things that I, and that one I'm not as um, opposed to, to compromising on. You know, if, if that's what you want to think that relatively speaking, you think you're more of a woman inside or more of a man uh, and kind of uh, against your biology, then, then so be it. I mean, that's okay. But, but for me, my own 
belief system is, is built on this idea that there are certain absolute truths that I'm not willing to compromise on. And then there's other ones, such as, you know, the economy or how markets work or whatever, that are important to me, but maybe a little bit more relative, like, yeah, there has to be some truth in the world. I'm sure there is some absolute truth out there. But I'm not so uh, naive or, or prideful or something like that to say that I have it figured out, that I'm the holder of, of absolute truth. So the reason I'm going on this big, long uh, diatribe here is, is to, to talk about a podcast I was listening to yesterday, Macro Voices. I'm sure many of you guys have, have heard of the podcast, maybe for me, because I, I, t- I bring it up from time to time. It's a uh, it's a great financial po- sorry a great financial podcast run by the guy by run by a guy by the name of Eric Townsend and uh, Patrick Strez is another guy that that kind of co-hosts it a lot. Anyways, each week they do a free feature interview, which is like usually an hour long or close to that, and then they also have their their all star appearances, and, and then they, I think they still have some other content as well. Uh, but anyway, so they have these great financial minds. Uh, and sometimes on other topics as well, uh, maybe specifically in, in the geopolitical sphere, whatever. They, they come on and they're interviewed and, and they have a great array of, of opinions. And there's one guy in particular that was on actually yesterday, the day prior to, to when I'm recording this podcast. A guy by the name of Jeffrey Snyder from Alhambra uh, Capital or Alhambra Investments. Uh, you know, he's a guy that has historically had his work shared on Zero Hedge as well. I'm sure many of other places as well if, if you've seen him around. And and Jeffrey Snyder, you know, if there's one word that I would think of to, to describe him and his viewpoint of, of markets, of, of the economy and whatnot, would be Euro dollar. He's a huge Euro dollar guy. And the idea behind the Euro dollar is not necessarily dollars that are in Europe. Uh, the Euro dollar refers to offshore dollars um, offshore markets, um, offshore whatever that that deal in in more or less the uh, the lending, it, it, kind of the creation um, and the tightness or the looseness of, of the dollar. So there's this notion that that the Fed is is kind of the the gatekeeper for the dollar, that they decide when dollars are created and destroyed, etc., through interest rates, through balance sheet expansion or contraction, etc. Uh, but the truth of the matter is that it's a little more complicated than that, that they do have a lot of control over that domestically, but internationally, and not just in Europe, but in Asia, Africa, etc., the euro dollar uh, has a huge influence on, on what the dollar ultimately does. And, and his opinion is that in the last 10 plus years, Repeatedly, we've dealt with this euro-dollar squeeze, where, where dollars are short. Uh, we're, we're short on dollars, which means usually a rise in lending costs, and it means uh, generally a lot of problems for the overall financial system. And, and that's why we've dealt with these borderline crises like three or four times since the last Great Recession. So anyways, that's a, a bit about Jeffrey Snyder. And, and the, the topic he was discussing, I, I'd encourage you to listen to it, of course, not till you finish this, but... Uh, go ahead, cut away if you want to, 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 to find macro voices. But, but the topic that he was discussing was, was two things. Uh, first of all, uh, the, the economy and economic growth, as well as the Federal Reserve, and whether or not their policies have been effective or not. And, and I really love this podcast. It's maybe my favorite podcast by Jeffrey Snyder because it's, it's so... 
I don't know. I mean, I think it's truthful. I, th- that's what I love, and it's not that his other podcasts aren't, but it's 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 sort of like a well, tell us how you really feel about this, Jeff. Type of of podcast. Tell us about some of your deeper thoughts and, and beliefs about the Federal Reserve and, and how much they've screwed things up. And so he starts off with economic growth. I thought this was a really great thought that economic growth, which right now is maybe around 2%, 1%, 3%. Those are, again, according to official numbers. One thing that I think a lot of people miss is that if you do actually take into account a higher inflation than what actually is reported, uh, 2%, versus 5%, which I think it's probably more likely at around 5%, then then economic growth over the last couple, 10 years maybe, has pretty much always been in a recession or, or barely breaking even, depending on what inflation is on a given year, given quarter. But anyways, what he's talking about here is that even if you go with official inflation numbers, official GDP numbers, GDP around 2%, he's basically saying that, yes, 2% is, is positive, in terms of growth, not only nominal, but also relative to inflation. However, what's really important when it comes to something like economic growth is the rate of change. And so the idea behind this is that for for each economy and for each period of time, there is sort of a a break-even point. A a great example of this would be China. Uh, China has extremely skewed economic data, it's, it's probably less truthful for the United States economic data, etc. But, but we'll use it as an example. Uh, so for a long time, China had sort of this break-even uh, average GDP around, I don't know, 6.5%, maybe 6%. It's sort of a declining line rather than a straight line. Uh, but anyways, that's what China's had for a very long time since the Great Recession, and over, over time, you see that, that overall rate of growth dip and ultimately dip below whatever this break-even point is, whatever we're going to decide it is, 6.5, 6.2, uh, now 6% is below 6% on a year-over-year basis. So technically, China is not in a recession, according to their official data, uh, according to, to these numbers. China is not in a recession. Okay. However, if you look at what their average rate of growth is, that break-even point, they're below that. So it's not a contracting economy, but it's an economy for whatever reason, that is for whatever reason, growing at a pace slower than its average rate or what it should be growing at. And he's sort of saying the same thing about the United States, that our average growth prior to the Great Recession uh, and even back into the... To the you know, early 2000s, uh, the 90s, 80s, 70s, 60s, that we had average growth far higher than what it more recently has been. That the break-even should be closer to 3 or 4%, and that all this talk about why the, the overall average is decreasing, about uh, he gave the example of, of baby boomers and, and opioid addicts uh, slowing down overall average economic growth. But that's really a bogus theory, that that's looking for a reason for why this data has been so lackluster for like 10 years now. Why so many people have called this uh, a recovery, but in quotation marks, because it's it's been one of the slowest recoveries on record, even though it's, it is one of the longest economic expansions on record. So I thought that was a really interesting thought, right? And 
and and if we take it a step further and say, you know, maybe one of the things that Jeff is missing is that the fact that inflation is actually much higher than what's reported, then you have a really interesting situation where not only is it below what the break even should be, the average, you know, three or four percent or five percent, um, it's actually closer to to negative over that time frame. And when you take into that take that into account, it really gives you an interesting view. Of, of economic growth and, and of the world. So basically, w- what that would tell us is that when the Fed intervened in 2007, 2008, 2009, and, and continued to intervene following that in a big way, not to say that was the first time the Fed's intervened, but but certainly the in, in the largest way that they've intervened uh, thus far, and of course other central banks followed suit, then following that, all of a sudden, we have we live in this weird world where economic growth somehow cannot get positive. You know, it, it, don't get me wrong. There's economic growth in certain sectors of the U.S. economy, I'm sure, but that type of a, of a, of a worldview, where economic growth has just been stagnant or even contracting for the last ten plus years, in most quarters, I, I think would fit with a lot of people's experiences. Whether we're talking about the massive amount of manufacturing that has moved overseas, or or just in general, uh, the the economy not really doing better for the average person. I think a lot of people would love to say the economy's been great for them over the last ten years, but I think a lot of those people would probably reference their four hundred one k, and thus the stock market as reason for why it's done so well for them. If you look at wage growth. Uh, especially when you take into account what the real rate of inflation has been, it's it's really been pretty poor. And I mean, all this data really lines up and shows us that that something changed in 2000 during the Great. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Recession. Something profound changed in the financial markets, which has led us to, to this, this weird reality where economic growth somehow cannot get positive. And, and it really brings us back to the government and, and the, uh, the Federal Reserve and their actions during the Great Recession and, and following the Great Recession. So moving on in this podcast of, of Jeffrey Snyder's, he, he talks about how the Fed has made a colossal mistake in lowering interest rates and um, providing quantitative easing and all of that. Liquidity, credit growth went out to the markets because... They assumed all along the way that that would loosen monetary conditions and thus stimulate the economy, uh, but, it, but it didn't at all have that effect. It had the opposite effect of, of tightening the uh, financial system and, and actually really hampering any long-term uh, growth. And that's where, now this is a sort of Milton Friedman type idea that, that Jeffrey Snyder is pushing forward. And that's where we can circle back to the beginning of this podcast, talking about absolute versus relative truth. I think there's some truth to that. And I'd love to flesh out this topic with Jeffrey Snyder more. Um, Why is that the case? Why is it that lower interest rates and all this easing and liquidity and whatnot 
had the effect of, of tightening the financial system rather than loosening it. And, and that's where we differ. My opinion on why the Fed made this colossal, not why they made it, but what this colossal mistake ultimately amounted to was uh, this idea that the, the, excesses, the excesses that were built up during the Great Recession were never allowed to really run their course in terms of, of move to the downside, whether this is the housing market, uh, mortgage-backed securities, the entire banking system, the stock market, etc. That in 2008, the Federal Reserve, the U.S. government, decided that they were going to double down on this idea that they would never allow the economy to move into a deep, deep recession or the financial system to, to really come to a complete standstill or fall apart or at the housing market could not collapse any further. That's sort of the conclusion they came to. And, and for all this talk about the more recent, uh, you know, whatever takes moment for Mario Draghi and, and maybe in the last six months, something that would uh, be very similar to a whatever takes moment for, for Jerome Powell and the Fed, uh, maybe world central banks and world governments had their whatever takes moment uh, 10 plus years ago. And that because of that, we, we have this world where what should have fallen apart didn't. It, it was artificially kept on, on life support. You know, and I, I'm trying to think of a great example. I think a great example of this would be, uh, uh, I love using analogies. You guys know this. I think a good example would be a forest. A forest, uh, forest fires. You know, for all this talk about how catastrophic they are and how unexpected they are in places like California and whatnot, uh, they're normal. Wildfires are, are a normal part in most ecologies, whether it's Australia, California, the rainforest, and a lot of ecologies or a lot of environments, they're normal. In fact, they're, they're healthy. It's healthy that wildfires occur every so many years. And it probably depends on, on what type of a forest it is, how old should this forest be before it, it burns down and then starts over again. And, and I'm not an expert on any of that. However, what I can say is that if you have a forest that is supposed to burn every 20 years, 50 years, 150 years, and you actively prevent that, you're creating a problem. You're creating ultimately two problems. First of all, the, the lack of starting fresh, the lack of, of burning thing, everything down and starting from scratch has a detrimental effect on the long-term health of that forest. And, and this is akin to the Federal Reserve and the U.S. government and governments the world over saying, we don't want any deeper of a recession. We don't want markets to decline any further. We don't want the financial system to fall apart. We don't want these banks to collapse or the corporations to collapse. And so we're going to keep them up. That's almost like, like a, a small-scale wildfire starting in a relatively old forest. And then immediately before it can spread too far, uh, the Forest Service coming in and, and putting out before it goes anywhere in the name of public safety or in the name of it looks pretty or whatever, okay? However, as I said, that's detrimental to the long-term health of, of many of these forests. A lot of these trees, these big old trees, are going to be dying, they're going to be rotting, they're going to be falling over, and there's just not going to be that same room for new large trees to replace those, right? You have zombie trees, you have a zombie forest, a lot like zombie corporations or zombie governments, where 
where they can barely uh, service their debt, let alone ever even contemplate paying off part of their debt. The other problem, though, is that with a lot of these forests, I'm sure this is the case for, for like a lot of places in California, and again, I'm not a forest expert, but, but what happens also is that you have this buildup of debris, dead, dry debris, which serves as fuel. All these old dead trees are just standing there, rotting out, woodpeckers making their homes in them, and, and, and most of their large limbs falling off. And, and you just have what ultimately amounts to a, a, an environment that is ripe for uh, a very large fire. And, and I think that's similar for, for today's economy. That because they've tried to extend this for so long and, and, and stave off any sort of, of uh, lightning strike from, from spreading a, a major fire or, or somebody chucking their I don't know, cigarette butt on, on some dry leaves, because they've snuffed that out time and time again, we have this environment where you have not only a forest that is not healthy and does not see robust growth and thus the long-term growth, the long-term health of this forest is, is just subpar, much like today's economy, but you also have an environment that is ripe for a major recession, a major wildfire. Why is that the case, though? Well, I think what you we had in, in the Great Recession was what should have been a, a reining in of excesses. I think that's a really broad way of, but, but an appropriate way of, of describing what should have happened. Uh, debt should have been written off. Banks probably should have collapsed. Corporations should have collapsed. The, the dollar and other currencies should, should have probably taken a larger hit, or maybe not. Maybe they should have done better uh, as, as a safe haven asset. Uh, stocks should have, have dropped probably much further. The housing market should have dropped much, much further. Unemployment probably would have risen further. Uh, more foreclosures, more repossessed vehicles, more bankruptcies. You know, across the board, it would have been much, much uglier, just like a wildfire sweeping through a relatively old forest. It it would have been bad. It would not have been a pretty sight. However, just like with with a wildfire, from the ashes, we we would have risen with, with a high amount of growth. I mean, look at a forest following a wildfire. What do you end up with? You end up with a lot of, of growth. In fact, you know, to, to take it a step further on this analogy, you know, back in, gosh, 2010, I think, probably, and then probably many times since then, there was this term that was used in the financial media. I want to say the term was green shoots, that that it was, they, they called it green shoots. This evidence that the, the economy was finally moving into this higher growth period that we'd finally put the recession behind us. But those green shoots never amounted to anything. And, and Jeffrey Snyder, again, would say that it was a lot of it was a euro-dollar squeeze. I think there's some element to that that that's absolutely true. I wonder how debt played a role in that. Debt that should have been written off, been, been, been uh, defaulted on, companies that should have been bankrupted and whatnot, but that weren't. I wonder how that played a role in this Eurodollar squeeze as well as these green shoots being choked out. I mean, what happens when you have a really old forest and, and you have some green shoots all the way at the forest floor? They, they don't go anywhere. They don't get enough sunlight. They're in constant competition for, for nutrients, for water, etc. And so I think that's 
where we would have been had this thing fallen apart. You'd have green shoots. You've had a vibrant amount of growth. Like I said, it would have been bad, right? And and, and who knows? I mean, if, if you're maybe not an absolutist when it comes to the Fed and the government like I am in terms of, of how much or how little intervention they should be uh, participating in, maybe they could have softened the blow slightly, right? There's an argument to be made for that. But had they just really sat back and done nothing or just very little compared to what they actually did, we would have had a, a, a hot burning fire. We would have had a major recession, depression, right? It would be on par with the Great Depression potentially in terms of, of the depth. But in terms of the length, it would not. Unemployment would have recovered pretty quickly. You would have seen a ton of, of I think, great corporations that would have taken the place of those other ones and and banks and etc that would have risen up and 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 they would have thrived in this new environment i think we all would have thrived and instead we live in this weird um limbo where where economic growth is not deeply negative we're not in like a major depression uh or major recession we're not in this world where where stocks are just super low or the housing market just falling apart. Actually, quite the contrary, you have massive asset bubbles. But in terms of economic growth, you just have this constant real lackluster, uh, maybe borderline contraction. If you're going to say inflation is actually closer to four or 5% in the economy, because the Fed and because the US government decided to come in and, and put that fire out before it, it really was allowed to spread too far. Is, is that enough analogies for you guys? Enough wildfire analogies? I'm totally going to use that in the future. But but that's my take on, on why the Federal Reserve, you know, despite all their, their thoughts on, on why their policy hasn't worked, their, their QE, or I think a lot of them probably think that it has worked, QE and lower interest rates and repo market interventions and whatnot, uh, that somehow it, it's not their fault, but that it's because demographics, which, you know, there's some argument to be made there, but but there's also a lot uh, of arguments to be made for, for higher economic growth because of advances in technology uh, and many other reasons to say that, that the overall rate of the average rate of growth in the economy hasn't, shouldn't have really changed. The potential for the economy should still be around four, five, six percent, whatever, year over year. And yet we're not achieving it. The Fed is going to say it's because of some reason other than their own fault. Uh, what I'm saying is that it's exactly that. It is their fault that this U.S. economy, that the global economy, has not really been able to sustain these green shoots for more than six months or 12 months at a time before ultimately something comes in and, and they're snuffed out. That what we ultimately need is is a really major wildfire uh, and and. I don't know, it's so often that my podcasts come down to this in conclusion, but but maybe that wildfire needs to extend beyond the stock market, the housing market, uh, the economy, and whatnot, but, but really needs to go into to the heart of, of the financial system itself, and that is currencies, the dollar, uh, the euro, the yen, the pound, etc., and that those need to be seriously devalued or destroyed before we can start anew. Because otherwise, whenever the stock market moves down, whenever corporations look as though they're about to, to fall apart, go into bankruptcies, whatever, 
the government can always step in with a bailout. The Fed can always step in with their version of a bailout or with lower rates or QE or whatever and, and disasters averted. But what it ultimately leads to is, is lower and lower secular growth. Uh, they're sacrificing long-term growth to, to avoid any short-term pain. But I think that short-term pain, that short-term wildfire, is exactly what we need right now. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Again, check that one out. Uh, I'm not, as I said before, I'm not going to be so naive to think that I have a monopoly on, on truth on all this matter. I think there's a, certainly an element of what Jeffrey Snyder's talking about that is absolutely real. And there's a lot of great discussions over there uh, on that podcast, uh, Macro Voices. Again, that's the term of it. Uh, the ter- that's what this podcast is called. Uh, when, when it comes to, to R star, which, which refers to the what the equilibrium interest rate should be over time, and and all these other topics, uh, definitely check it out. Uh, but as always, uh, thank you to every one of you, whether you're in on YouTube still and, and haven't made the switch to my podcast platform, which has seen a, seen a ton of growth by the way in the last month or so, or if you're listening on the podcast. Um, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast, Radio Public, whatever it is, Podbean. Thank you, every single one of you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in and God bless.